0: Welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org, and with me I have Steve Montgomery, the author of The Converging Apostasy, a collection of thematic critiques, and together we're examining the themes of apostasy in the New Apostolic Reformation and their history. Steve, we had such a exciting episode last time that I actually got quite a bit of good feedback. And a lot of people were really impressed with your knowledge and were begging us for more. I got emails and <laughs> comments in the feed. <laughs> they want to hear more. And so oh, I spoke with you and we decided to let's let's make this a thing let's dig into all of this history how this all of this aposto- apostasy has converged and morphed over time into all of these different movements and you know ended up to be the new apostolic reformation but there's a lot of stages in between this and um our listeners were excited to hear how that developed and who better to do it than steve montgomery <laughs>
1: Well, I appreciate that intro, John. That's very good uh, of you, and I'm I'm glad to be back.
0: Excellent. Well, last time we spoke, well, there's a name mentioned that you noticed. I got really excited about, and that is Jane Lead. We, um, <clears throat> I I came across Jane Lead a few different times in my research, and. Initially I looked at this, you know, this, this person's just a little crazy, you know, from from the yep. what was it 1600s, I can't even remember the date. But late 1600s. Late 1600s, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but as I came to find out as I started going through her 60 proclamations i think it's called it basically became a manifesto for creating what i escaped but more to the point what became the new apostolic reformation if you read study and examine those 60 proclamations it it lays out the whole roadmap for what we're talking about
1: this is true um and actually i got corrected on calling that uh Uh, Her writings, uh, it it was not actually written by her, uh, but Dr. Bridget M. Jacobs, who's done, uh, she's a scholar. She's actually an ex-NAR person. Her and her husband were in a NAR church for some time. Uh, She let me know accurately that um, the 60 Propositions, that's what they call it, uh, was uh, put together by several followers of Jane Lee. So, yes, it is her ideas but she didn't pin them uh, per se. And so um, there's something else that, uh, that I wanted to make sure to, to address uh, this time is that that uh, last time we spoke, you, you mentioned a listeners, uh, one of your listeners uh, had a question. And so here's, here's the answer. Uh, it was about uh, the legacy of Jane Lead. So this is from Dr. Philip Lockley and in his, uh, Jane Leeds' Prophetic Afterlife in the 19th Century English Atlantic, he says that Leeds, quote, enjoyed a prophetic afterlife, not only through the Shakers, the French Prophets, Mary's House of David, British Israelism, New Age fe- and New Age Feminists, but also in the teachings of, quote, Mormons and the followers of Joanna Southcott. So uh, he's he's not addressing all of the uh, places that her ideas went to, but uh, but that was pretty much what what one of your listeners was asking about. So to uh, continue on that, uh, I received uh, confirmation of the centrality of Jane Lead in the Latter Day Movement. Uh, some of the prophets in that movement in 1948 uh, really plagiarized and or uh, borrowed. Uh, some of her ideas. And so, as I mentioned, the ex-NAR doctor, Bridget M. Jacobs, she wrote, A Prophecy Out of the Past, Contrasting Test Treatments of Jane Leeds uh, among two North American 20th Century millenarian Movements. and One of them is Mary, City of David, and the other is the Latter Rain. And this is found in a very good book. I don't think I ever recommended it to uh, John. But it's um, it's a collection of essays from different scholars on Jane Lead. And uh, Dr. Jacobs being an ex-NAR, her perspective I think was most useful to me. But hers is in Chapter 12. It's called Christianities in the Transatlantic World, 1500 through 1800, Jane Lead and her Transnational Legacy. And this is uh, edited by Ariel Hessian, 2016. Another great source of information uh, is a is a pastor that I became acquainted with through his writings and then later uh, contacting him. Uh, one of his uh, his name is uh, his pastor Bob Dewey, D E then capital W-A-A-Y. He's an ex-NR person also. <clears throat> And his um, Roots and Fruits of the New Apostolic Reformation can be found at Critical Issues Commentary. That's December of uh, 2007. Another person who was a source of a lot of information for Dr. Jacobs is an independent researcher. A lot of people call him Bill Mack because his last name is spelled in it. It must be German, I would say, or uh, Germanic. It's uh, Bill Mackenstadt. And uh, according to his research, he talked. Uh, he did, he read everything that was written by George Houghton, uh, and uh, did interviews with some of the leaders of the latter-day movement. According to his research, he found that George Warnock, Bill Britton, Rick Joyner, that's an interesting person in the list because he's a NAR an prophet, and Clayton Sonmore, all plagiarized Boehm. That's Jacob Boehm. And Leeds' writings in order to so called proof text their manifest sons of God and lettering doctrines. Uh, Bill also found uh, through talking to Royal Cronquist's uh, widow, and Cronquist was one of those prophets from the Lateran, uh, his widow said that Royal knew that the new order of the Lateran was based on the doctrines and teachings of Jane Leeds. And Mrs. Conquist also said that Roy. Royal knew George Warner quite well and that Warnock also believes that Leed's prophetic de- declarations were generally genuinely from God and uh, also in his uh, research he found that the latter lattering prophet uh, Franklin Hall plagiarized Jane Leed's prophecies so you have you have quite a bit of uh, of uh, crosstalk there coming uh, coming down through the centuries because Jane Lead was a uh, 17th century uh, mystic and prophetess who gathered so much steams, kind of like, you know, like a rock-gathering moss uh, down the hill. Uh, She gathered so many ideas from the esoteric world uh, that went all the way back to the Gnostic Valentinus and then progressed through uh, Neoplatonic writings and... uh, Also, Kabbalah and the writings of Jacob Bowen, all of whom, all of those uh, are very uh, prominent uh, ideologies and folks, uh, also uh, Paracelsus. And so, uh, other than these people and many other scholarly writings uh, that I've uh, read about Jane Lead, how I came to the conclusions I came to about her doctrines was uh, through primary sources. I'll uh, list these quickly. Uh, her 60 Propositions was uh, one of her earlier writings. That was in 1679. The These are all things I read and analyzed. The Eniochian Walks with God, that's 1694. The Ascent to the Mount of Vision, 1694. The wonders of God's creation manifested in a variety of eight worlds. 1695 the eight worlds a manifestation concerning the eight worlds or regions allotted to human souls that might perk up a few questions uh that's also 1695 a message to the philadelphian society which is the group she was uh head of that's uh, 1696 alarm to the lambs holy warriors that's 1700 and the whole the heavenly watchers and yes it does come out sounding quite a bit like uh, the secrets of the book of uh, of Enoch where there's the heavenly watchers that was what she wrote in 1700. And John, I know you would know that uh, Wesley Swift, uh, who promoted the uh, really got a lot of the Christian identity uh, ideas started. He also talked about the heavenly watchers and kind of had a mix between heavenly watchers slash uh, space brothers, you know, aliens, uh, slash the sons of God, uh, uh, which he felt were uh, uh, pre-existent, sort of like a big realm of uh, an um, aphromorcist conglomerate of divinity, uh, which was uh, composed of the Great Cloud of Witnesses, uh, and the heavenly watchers and then also the uh, the revelation of revelations of si- 1701 what i found by reading uh some of uh the writings of the scholars that uh, that dr jacobs associated with is that each of them you know scholars had had an angle which everybody does and quite a few of them were feminists so they were looking at uh, jane lead as her contributions to feminist literature. But uh, uh Dr. Jacobs, I felt was especially useful and helpful to me. And I talked to her multiple times on the phone, uh, because one, she was ex ex nar, two, she was a scholar. And putting those two things together, uh, her research is really invaluable into uh finding out how the Lateran got started. So um I think that the, the precedents that were set for what I call a hands-on eschatology uh, began with Jane Leed. And so, as I mentioned earlier, she's a 17th century mystic and prophetess, and she set these hands-on um, uh, precedents for eschatology of, of three major things, one- Moral perfection, which, you know, slash divinity, some people would say. And the Manifest Sons of God folks definitely preach that. Uh, and in altered form, you get that from the Kingdom Message folks in the 80s and the current day NAR. Uh, two, uh, she set precedents for political dominion. And actually, some of the earlier uh, Lateran, Lateran folks in the Manifest Sons of God teachers Pretty much, they They like the word um, theocracy, so they toss that about. And interestingly, but I always give a big disclaimer, is they like to toss around the the word, the phrase, new age. So uh, does that mean they're new age teachers? Well, (laughs) it's hard, there's some parallels, there's some strong parallels, but But, uh, you know, just for whatever reason, they happen to pick up that phrase and use it quite a bit. Uh, Also, uh, one of the more intriguing and more dangerous ideas, considering if these ideas are widespread and uh, put in implementation in even the slightest way, is Jane Leeds' precedents that were set for a literal uh, physical purge, removing those who are, are deemed the ungodly and also resistant Christians. So you can see that happening through <clears throat> excuse me, through all of these uh, prophets of the latter rain, all three of those things. And the way they put this into uh, more layman's terms where it's a principle is that they say that all things in and through the corporate body of Christ will be uh, accomplished before the individual literal. Christ is allowed to return. So they put themselves in the driver's seat of the, of the end times, if you put it that way. Uh, so I, I look at Jane Lee, <coughs> that she functions as a receiver and a transmitter. She received ideas from the esoteric world in which she was deeply immersed. Then she transmitted them to the Christian world through the influence of these key prophets of the Lateran movement of 1948. Uh, other than William Branham and uh, Franklin Hall, who are very prominent, uh, her 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 writings are actually referenced, and her name is mentioned in the writings of the Apostle George Houghton, the Prophet Bill Britton, the Prophet Royal Conquist, and the Prophet, so, I'm using so-called, uh, J. Preston Eby.
0: Right, there's just so much there to break down. And I think people... Unless you really understand the history, the NAR itself is going to be confusing, and all of the pathways leading to it are going to be confusing. You really have to break it apart and break it down, and when you see off to the side in this ancient... 16 late 1600s history this crazy woman that you you think in your mind nobody in the right mind would follow this person <laughs> and believe this person yep. and then then you look at today's world the NAR and they they can very easily just separate themselves and say no we're not like that and people will miss all of the connections but for me as you know I like to dig yep. as I was going through You know, like I said, there were multiple paths that led to Jane Lead, and one of the most obvious paths is through, you mentioned the House of David. William Branham claimed to have healed a person named John Ryan, and according to the fable, Ryan began visiting what was the Billy Branham Pentecostal Tabernacle, before it was Branham Tabernacle, and um, apparently this John Ryan. William Branham healed his eyes in front of a, a rabbi in the sect of the <laughs> the House of David in Benton Harbor, <clears throat> and Ryan is apparently the one that introduced Branham to William Souders, who had a school of the prophets in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. So for me, <clears throat> this this began all kinds of paths <laughs> of research, right? But right. through through John Ryan, I could connect Branham to influence whether big or small through the, you know, the um, House of David cult. And then that goes through, they had the writings of Southcott and Southcott was influenced by chain lead, as you mentioned. So as I began to explore all of this, even back then, I did not fully understand it until I came across the (laughs) the 60 proclamations. And once you understand what all of this was, and it, it goes right back to your book. You talk about how it developed from Gnosticism. My fascination was to take these trails all the way back, past Gnosticism, into the ancient cults of old, and specifically into the mystery cults. And Absolutely. if you look at if you look at her sixty proclamations, number two, this is a hidden mystery, not to be understood without the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The way in which these mystery cults operated as they held a secret that nobody else could know you had to be part of the special elite group and in doing so you create a destructive cult but you also create this unit of people that think they have something over the rest of the you know the world of believers of whatever is the faith in this case pretending to be christian right <clears throat> so it was a mystery cult at the time, I did not really understand the depth of that, but having grown up in a mystery cult, we were a group of people who claimed that we held the secret from our alleged prophet. He had the mystery that no other Christian have. Unless you're part of this group, you can't have it. It's, it's the very definition of a mystery cult, right? Well, part well, of that mystery included, as you mentioned also, Jane Leed writes in – I think it's number 11, 12, and 13, about how the church would become apostate, which is another attribute of how these mystery cults worked. You're the small group, you have the elite divine information that nobody else have because they've grown apostate and we're better than them. So in the nature of a destructive cult, you are becoming separationist, isolationist. You're basically severing the body of Christ, right? And it lays the foundation for as I began to develop my understanding of how the latter rain was formed and their initial message Their initial message had two parts. You mentioned Wesley Swift, which is obviously Christian identity, but also Swift was a strong proponent of British Israelism. Well, if you follow the traces of British Israelism back and understand her 60 proclamations or um, her 60 propositions, I keep calling it incorrectly, well, it also lays the framework for British Israelism to develop. And she's you know, she's from England, so this is laying the foundation for what would emerge in various other forms. The influence is so widespread, but the initial message of the um, of the Lateran movement as it was formed from its inception is that it was a it was a British-Israel message. It was a mystery cult. The rest of the church is apostate. We're the group that's going to make it. We've just came through the world wars. God is about to wipe the <laughs> wipe the rest of the Christians off of the earth because we are, we alone have the special knowledge. We are the mystery cult. It is, it is full and complete, the framework, to create the new mystery cult, which was, at that point in time, the Latter Rain Movement, but now it develops into an even weirder mystery cult, the NAR.
1: So, uh, many, many new podcasts can be started on everything you just said. That's very good. One thing that struck me was you talked about the mystery religions, okay? Uh, this podcast and the previous one, I'm focusing more on uh, the Christian part of apostasy, which uh, which I uh, put a big strong emphasis on Jane Lee. But the uh, second portion of the book I wrote is on what was, what is more usually referred to as Western esotericism, which I believe is running parallel and even uh, converging to a large extent with the so-called Christian version of apostasy. So, if we talk about the, uh, the esoteric branch, then um, it's interesting to see that Valentinus, who is so uh, so prominent and so instrumental in the in, uh, in promoting ideas that you would find in the esoteric world, um, he gathered his ideas uh, primarily from Plato. And the mystery religions, uh, mystery religions or mystery cults, uh, that were uh, present in the uh, the pagan ancient world, and then he sort of uh, sifted those ideas uh, through uh, through some of the more difficult to understand uh, passages of Paul, uh, and he, he read them as uh, as symbolic as as he possibly could and came up with his version and and actually uh, the things i've read about him he was supposedly uh uh, a very erudite fellow and a great uh speaker and uh became pretty much the most prominent of all the uh the gnostics and so uh to fit in with that just as a tiny uh uh, sidestep to what what i've got here to uh, discuss is that uh uh helena Blavatsky, who is, uh, you know, one of the royalty of the esoteric world, uh, actually says, the, uh, this is a, a paraphrase, the religion of the future will be the religion of the past. And her and one of her disciples, Alice Bailey, um, believed that uh, in the so-called New Age, there would be a, a revitalized uh, or restored version of the mystery religions. However, since pretty much the mystery religions remain a mystery as far as their particulars, um, uh, what it ends up becoming is uh, not uh, not really restored, uh, but just uh, reshaped uh, with that title and uh, inter- all of their ideas interjected. So, and that's that's the point I make about Valentinus and the kind of study of him, you know, scholarly studies where they take the few extant, uh, pieces of, of his literature, um, or they th- the things they get from Irenaeus, Irenaeus, either way, um, there's really not too much you can, you can surmise from them, uh, other than that the esoteric world will draw certain particulars out of it, and so, uh, like I said, that would be a, another entirely, uh, series of, uh, podcasts, but, uh, Here's, here's something I can, to get back with Jane Leed, uh, this is how it pretty much all began. And people that have been familiar with the NAR or the Ladder Rain will hear some kind of interesting things in here. So in April of uh, 1670, Leed claimed that she was visited by the Great Goddess, the Spouse of God, the Wonder of Wonders, and the Queen of All Worlds, who will appear once again, a.k.a. Sophia. So, Sophia was uh, not just the, as in the Greek, I believe it's Yah-Greek, that uh, it's not just the word meaning wisdom. Uh, she she had this personified version of wisdom, who she'd call sometimes the Great Virgin uh, Sophia, or any of those other titles that I get to. it. So, Sophia tells you Now, this is interesting here, if you think about the NAR. Sophia tells lead to instruct quote, the prophets and apostles to perfect the elite. Uh, That really, really comes out of the fivefold, or the fivefold ministry can be aligned with that quite easily. And to do this, Sophia calls for, again, you can hear this in any of the fivefold ministry places. She calls for the restoration of the gifts that were lost to the church. Well, what, what gifts are we talking about? Uh, well, then she talks about as being able to see into the unseen world, uh, to to see uh, uh, members of the great cloud of witnesses, to see Jesus, to see saints of gone, uh, bygone days. But she also includes a couple of things that would sound familiar to anybody that knows about the latter rank. They include the gift of prophecy and the laying on of hands. And so Sophia then uh, commands lead to uh, write the revelations that are revealed to her. So, one of the revelations uh, I'm focusing on pretty much the ones that deal with uh, eschatology. Lead also told, which we can get into that later, John, if you wish. Uh, lead also told, um, or Sophia told, lead uh, to acquaint that uh, it was ex- it was uh, expedient that um, that the saints. Uh, here on earth, become acquainted with their pre-existency. If you get real into that, you find out that Plato and pretty much all of the manifest sons of God teachers, like George Houghton, uh, when they start talking about pre-existency, they're actually talking about a state of divinity. They were then incarnate on earth, and they're now working back towards the position of divinity. That totally, totally uh, aligns itself with esoteric thought on the same thing, the path back to divinity. So, and, oh, and lead also said that uh, uh, that God was, obviously, from what I uh, mentioned it before, uh, God was female and male. You can get that in uh, Valentinus. You can get that, like, brimming over in Kabbalah, which is so uh, prominently uh, referenced by all the people in the esoteric world. And Leed also said something interesting, which you can also get from Valentinus. Uh, you can also get it from Kabbalah, is that God was evil and good, uh, light and darkness all wrapped together in one unity. Uh, you can get that from Alistair Crowley. I mean, it's like straight up the esoteric world. So, but here's one of the, the more uh, common ones that she has. She says that Christ is held in the heavens. Well, let's see what the Nar Prophet Bill Hammond has to say about that. He says Dominion will be taken through the corporate Christ, the corporate body of Christ, before he comes back in his personal body. Okay, there's implications about that. Earl Polk was a, an associate of Bill Hammond. Earl Park was in the 1980s. He's really part of what you some people would call the uh, Dominion uh, Ministries. Uh, And so uh, Earl Polk says this, the elite will become so glorified that they can bring Christ back to earth. Again, this is a very common uh, statement. So how does that compare to lead? Lead said that qualified souls will be able to hasten his coming and will be actively bringing heaven down upon the earth before his own distinct appearance. In this way, they will, as she says, Personate Christ. People who never experienced
0: being in the Latter rain, the NAR, the you know, the message cult and its splinter groups, all of this, they they really would never even think that this could be possible. In a Christian world, somebody believing something that honestly <laughs> it sounds like something a movie's made after, right? Absolutely. Sci-fi. This, this was this was key critical foundational doctrine to many of these things. If, if you go back even to, in Pentecostalism, you've got Charles Fox Parham, the founder of Pentecostalism, who was teaching British Israelism, which had elements of Jane Lead all throughout it. Um, William Branham was the leader of the Lateran Voice of Healing Revivals during the was a late 1940s early 50s and let let me read you a quote he says but as soon as it's born into this world and breathes its first breath it becomes a living soul but as soon as the earthly body is born in the world there's a celestial body or a spiritual body to take hold of it so in this doctrine they're teaching that (laughs) <laughs> this, I, I think, you know, the ancient aliens or whatever, but they're they're literally talking about a spiritual body that exists somewhere else that is empty, it's soulless, and your body here is bringing it to the earth. And towards the end of the quote, he says, "And as soon as this the natural body is dissolved, there's a spiritual body waiting over yonder, a theophany, we call it." Well, this was <clears throat> this weird thing. You know, Jane Lead laid the framework for that and so many other things that I grew up with and, and thought was our mystery doctrine for our mystery cult. But one of the most significant, and to reemphasize the point that you made, in the latter reign, you had the fivefold ministry, but you had this weird hierarchy where at the top the prophet was the king, right? If you could rise up to be a prophet, you, you were a king of your domain. In her 60 propositions, she lays the framework for prophet-priests. If you look at number 21, 43, and 44, and I'll just skim through some statements in there, the, the person must be anointed with a priestly, prophetical prophetical and royal dignity. And there must be somebody living in the present order who can be fully and totally redeemed having put another body on them after the priestly order. So they're bringing this spiritual body back onto them. And the priestly anointed body will render them impregnable and and qualify them for a high degree of spiritual government for which they're Mm -hmm. called. And she goes on and, you know, she talks about the order of Melchizedek, that basically this becomes a prophet priest. And as soon as I saw this in this list, you know, I heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon where the Melchizedek order was preached with the implication that our prophet William Branham was after the Melchizedek order, right? Right. That was a framework that was laid by Jane Lead, and when you combine all of that framework with this notion of manifested sons of God, where you're bringing, like you said, bringing the heaven down on earth. This is such a weird thing that I, I can't even imagine somebody who claims to be Christian believing it. We did because we were manipulated to believe elements of what Jane Leeds said, not realizing that it is the sum of what Jane Leeds said.
1: <laughs> yeah, John, that's uh, that's right on the mark. And as you were saying that, uh, uh, the part that uh, William Brannan was talking about uh, – Uh, almost uh, another being up there Uh, uh, to promote my book (laughs) uh, you get an earful of that kind of stuff uh, not only from the manifest sons of god teachers in Jane lead but also going all the way back to uh, I don't need to list them again but the the prominent uh, people and movements of the esoteric world prior to Jane lead going all the way back to uh, Valentinus and the second century um, that was a major, major component of his ideas, which then passing by Jane Leed and leaping all the way up to Helena Blavatsky and Alice Bailey, you get the same thing. What is that same thing? The same thing is that, um, just like Valentina said, there is, uh, uh, you have a, a heavenly, a heavenly pair, uh, and he called, I don't think I can pronounce this properly, Cisodes. Uh, meaning uh, something is a component of yourself, uh, but the component happens to be an angelic world and has not fallen into matter here on earth. So the goal of uh, of the initiate is to become reunited and, and infused, literally, uh, by this angelic uh uh, you could call it your personal angel, uh, which is what a lot of people in the New Age would call it later, or spirit guides. Um, so, but uh, for Valentinus, this wasn't like a momentary idea of uh, a prophecy to allow this being to uh, to speak through you, like say channelers would do. Uh, he was looking at it more like uh, uh, the ultimate goal of perfection for the. Uh, the elite and he classified humans very much like um, Manifest Sons of God teachers and and George Warnock in particular uh, three Uh, there's the bottom group that are uh, in Valentinius's words will be destroyed at the asceton, meaning the end of time and most of our prophets of today talk about we're in the end times right now Uh, there's the middle group that will be um, they'll have a chance uh, they might be removed physically, and then given a second chance when they became incarnate later. Um, but they're kind of like middle middle of the road Christians. Uh, then there's the elite who will be fully uh, imbued with uh, synomin- synonymous terms: the uh, light, their personal angel, their bridegroom, which I mentioned a little bit about that in our last podcast. So. Yeah, that idea of, uh, and, and in the Manifest Sons of God teachings, uh, uh, Bill Britton and others that I've mentioned before, the idea is that, uh, uh, they use different, uh, metaphors. They say, uh, it's your house in heaven. And, and when you really get down to the nitty gritty, oh, your house is actually a, a physical being. Uh, Bill Britton says this in a very tricky sort of way. He says, uh. He says, who is heaven? He doesn't say where, meaning like a location, a state of being, uh, which would be more naturally understood by Christians. He says, who is heaven? And he personifies heaven as those who have gone before and now are in the cloud of witnesses. So, when heaven comes down to earth, and you get his teachings about the two armies of God, the heavenly army of God which is, like what he said, um, it comes into union with the earthly uh, uh, army of God. And so this, this sort of thing happens constantly, and this happens to be the next thing I was going to bring up. Uh, so according to, I, this is one of my themes in my book, I say angels with a question mark. And so I say, the 2nd century Gnostic Valentinus said, you must draw a spirit, which is a light or an angel, down from heaven, at which time the spirit mingles with spirit, and the angel will then be joined with you. Uh, there's actually several scholars who, like you said, it's so bizarre. Uh, I was reading, I was kind of slapping myself by saying, Is this a scholars uh, It's say, sound almost like a conspiracy theorist, like a wild kind of sci fi kind of thing? Uh, but the scholars I've seen more than once say that. From Valentinus' perspective, it is uh, spirit possession, you know, and so I've heard that term uh, fairly often. Uh, actually, uh, Alistair Crowley said that he called it controlled possession, where he calls a spirit and then it uh, speaks to you and does whatever. Um, in, in the esoteric world prior to Jane Lead, and then uh, the contemporaneous folks that that taught, uh, in her day, they had, they had this idea, uh, they called it, the spiritual alchemy, in which, um, um, you're not trying to transform lead into gold, you're trying to transform, uh, the spirit into God, uh, union with God, and so that, that, that idea was, uh, very present, and so, uh, let me, let me quote you something here from Royal Cronquist, so he's thoroughly Jane, uh, Jane Lee inspired, he says, the coming perfect ones in the cloud of witnesses will guide you into all truth. Hmm, Sounds sort of like a biblical verse. Uh, The NAR prophetess Cindy Jacobs says, what do you think about God having a guardian angel assigned to you? That's interesting because Alistair Crowley says you must invoke uh, your holy guardian angel and they will and then follow their guidance, uh, which will never go wrong. Uh, the prophet Bill Hammond, again, he's a narfolk. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, uh, yeah, when I was thinking about this and writing this uh, in my book, I'd say, well, how many versions you could say he's narcoleptic? Uh, no, you could say uh, he's a narcodependent. dependent uh, I don't know, Just let, but I'll, I'll try not to insult him too much. The elite. According to him, I must call the host of war angels to come and appoint themselves companions. Sounds like Valentinus and Bill Britton and all these other folks. The elite must accept them. That is, speaking of coming from a Christian, that's a pretty bizarre statement. So, what does Lead say? She says very similarly to these folks, uh, which makes sense. The saints here on earth will become companions to them of high degree in heaven. They are heavenly watchers who will secretly assist and support the elite here on earth.
0: You know, it's funny. The last podcast we did, one of the comments that I got was, I can't believe that all of a sudden I'm listening to a podcast on today's religion and the name Alistair Crowley came up. (laughs) But... Interestingly, as the more I went through my research, I kept finding all these trails also back to Aleister Crowley, and one of the one of the more recent ones. Aleister Crowley was a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which you're probably familiar with, and yeah. their symbol was the pyramid with a cross on top, and there's a sun in the middle of the pyramid. Well, in William Branham's message cult and its very splinter groups, the pyramidology came from British Israelism and there's pyramids and all of the symbols and the <laughs> the icons that they use. But there are actually pulpits that are created in the churches where there's a pyramid and then right behind it is the, you know, when you look at it, you're looking at the pyramid pointed at the cross, which is the same exact symbol as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Interesting. But You have to remember during this era, you mentioned your shock. I had the same shock. When you're reading somebody who sounds to be intelligent and they're making statements that you know are absurd in today's world it would never fly they there would be all these fact checkers and all of these things that would just shut them down but remember there was a majority of people back in the you know late 1800s early 1900s where they believed some really really weird stuff And it was so prevalent that you would find intelligent men writing articles. They're teaching it in, you know, in colleges and universities. They're teaching British Israelism, even though it's not even a proven science. It was it, it was just some weird stuff. But all of these different themes and where it got really, really messed up is whenever it started to develop into a militant position. Mm-hmm. and through CAL Totten who was one of the one of the most influential british israel guys in the united states he was he had a military background and he was combining mil- his knowledge of the military with british israelism as british israelism was transitioning into christian identity which is the war between the races right mm-hmm. All of this is laid out in Jane Leeds' manifesto, uh, obviously written by, penned by somebody else, but in her proclamations, um, Propositions 34 and 35, she mentions that the, a prophetical generation with the Most High must raise up and deliver people by mere force of spiritual arms. And when you think about the NAR today and you think about their militant, form of Christianity, and then look at the trails of history of militant forms of Christianity that led to it, such as Joel's army, for example. You can see all of this. Jane's lead, one of the things that she said in the proclamations, she said that there must be raised up a certain head powers to bear the first offices, who are persons of great eminence and favor, whose dread and fear shall fall upon all nations. So she's talking about a military Defiance of the rest of the world. Well, when you took all of her weird esoteric nonsense, mixed with the fact that the world had just came through world wars, you know, at the time, Latter Rain is raising up. They're looking for, just like Jesus Day, they're looking for a military force to come in and just wipe everything out—a spiritual military force—and they thought they were creating it, and the point i want the point i'm driving at is you mentioned talking about the you know the planetary origins for all of these these spiritual beings to come down and how yeah, you mentioned the name wesley swift when you combine that knowledge with jane Leeds framework merge it together with christian christian identity what where it developed was this framework where there is going to be a war between the races because you've got, you know, Wesley Swift's theology was that the evil seed was planted in Cain and then emerged into the, into the world through people with black skin. Well, then you had these celestial beings, the good guys, basically, that were being manifested down in the manifested sons of God. And these two forces would be at war with each other. The, good guys, in Swift's mind, the people with the white skin, would completely eradicate the rest and set up a dominion on Earth. Now, you know, Swift off to the side, he's, you know, obviously white Christian nationalist, and not many people would favor him. But look what's happening in the NAR, they're using the same framework, they've just basically taken the, the race factor out of it, so they've taken Jane Leeds militant form of religion taken Wesley Swift's race out of it and said, we're, our hands are clean. We we have no Wesley Swift. Instead, we have this new thing, which, oh, by the way, you can trace all the way back to Jane Lead.
1: Yeah, John, uh, that's something, oddly, I was, <laughs> I was just about to say, yeah, John Lead, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, what I was thinking of when you were mentioning all that is that uh, something that I, I might have said before, um, there is the, the smaller group of extremists. And uh, uh, nowadays, a lot of times they'll call themselves, uh, uh, they call their message present truth. And a whole bunch of those guys had their roots in latter rain uh, movement and also in manifest sons of God teachings. Uh, but they've developed them uh, to where uh They've really become uh, obscure little pockets here and there that you can ferret them out on the internet and find out what they have to say. But each uh, each iteration of these, or reiteration of these kind of concepts takes it from the absolute extreme bizarre that who in the world could accept that and never gain prominence in our American society. Well, think again because... When you got the so-called Kingdom message of the 1980s, uh, John Jimenez, who was a big opponent, a, a big uh, a big representative of, of that movement, was uh, uh, mentioned by Bill Britton uh, as a sound man of God with with whom Bill Britton had fellowship. So you get in those influences uh, via Britton, which he got them via Jane Leed, which she got them via, you know, whatever occurred before her in the Esoteric rope So it comes down to the kingdom message and John Geminis. And as I've said before, the so what of that is that John Geminis and Earl Polk and others in the kingdom message brought that very obscure, odd stuff into uh, the limelight. And John actually was the one, uh, I don't know if it was single-handedly, but in 1980, uh, he got that first uh, Jesus uh, Washington for Jesus move was his doing. So, you know, that would suck in a lot of other people who are not necessarily a part of the Latter Day movement that probably knew nothing about Jane Lee, but they liked the idea of, quote, taking dominion, reclaiming the nation for God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, uh, likewise, another uh, reiteration of those same teachings you can find through Bill Hammond and, uh, you know, as a NAR prophet and Cindy Jacobs and others. And so they were things extremely differently, but uh, more carefully, I would say. But again, the fact that their teachings are a part of a really widespread thing in the mega churches, uh, so many of them. <clears throat> uh, you can see what used to be just in seed form then manifest in in a much greater um, uh, movement that has the the potential for a very big impact. And I point out again and again that that sort of impact, we witnessed parts of it um, uh, through Dutch Sheets and some of the other Cindy Jacobs who were loosely affiliated with the the March, uh, the January 6th, attack on the capitol and so yeah that militancy which you mentioned is definitely still there and it all comes down to uh, eschatology is it in our hands are we going to reclaim the kingdom or claim the kingdom for god are we going to uh take care of the judgment day uh that one is one of those deep dark secrets but it's lingering out there uh bill britton definitely had those ideas his impact on the kingdom message, you can hear that comes straight out of Earl Palk's mouth, who was associated with uh, uh, Bill Hammond and Bill Britton. And uh, Earl Palk said uh, that if you don't, some of your listeners probably heard this one before, if you don't, he's paraphrasing Jesus apparently, he says that Jesus said, if you don't have hate in your heart, it is impossible to commit murder. Oh, that's a pretty odd statement, but look how he he follows up that concept in one of his other books. He says, uh, which sounds like, okay, yeah, that's in the Bible. He says, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, people were put to death by the witness principle. Then later on, like say a paragraph or so later, he says, we see the church, and he's talking about the elite version of the church as the two witnesses in the in the end times so two and two together what do you get well you got the church will be uh killing those who don't fit in so to get to the to another part of which you you mentioned uh, about john is i i call it in the book i call it uh, deification based on the big lie because i happen to believe that that's where it came from you know it's kind of like what is the the ultimate problem that mankind has got into, and and how does that relate to one of the things God clearly does not appreciate, which is uh, idolatry, well, self-idolatry, becoming divine, deification. So let's see what the Jade Lead inspired George Houghton, the original prophet and apostle of the Latter Day said. He said, "The sons of God become the Son of God." The Bill Britton inspired, or excuse me, the Jane Lee inspired Bill Britton prophet said, His body is Christ. And after the sons of God finish his work, they go to the bridal tent where there will be a union in him that they have never known before. Interesting wording. Because some of the scholars claimed that, well, yeah, Bill Britton had a little bit of influence from the 60 propositions, but he didn't know much else of Jane Lee. I. Entirely disagree, based on the many things I've read of hers. Um, so I'm not a scholar, but I disagree with that assumption. Let's see. Let's see what Leeds says. The elite will be set apart for some new manifest- manifestation of union with God that we can just barely hint at. That sounds very much like Bill Britton got that from her. The elite will constitute. The appearance of Christ in His saints—you can hear that from every, you know, like the uh, the Kansas City prophets, people like Bob Jones. Uh, this is just very, very common. The, the appearance of Christ in His saints—that totally leads into the idea of hands-on uh, eschatology, because we're not talking about Jesus returning and doing the things that God would do. No, it's all going to be carried out by His quote corporate body. And here we have this uh, this other thing that I mentioned. Lead says Christ above and Christ beneath will join together. That is a major component in the esoteric world of, uh, you know, the Gnostic idea where um, the divine uh, heavenly world has been separated from uh, the fleshly world here on earth. Uh, the consummation of the ages will be that they come into union, you actually have deified flesh, what they call, um, yeah, consummation is one of the terms you hear often. Now here's another thing, This, uh, this like what we talked about earlier, John, about loaded language. This comes straight from the lead, but it shows up right in the manifest sons of God folks who then pass it on in various versions to the kingdom. Message into the North. Lead says that the elite overcomers—that's not your average Joe Christian—they will be brought into manifestation like the great Melchizedek. So, he's a symbol of immortality, of uh, divinity. And lead is saying uh, that the overcomers, those who are the real, the real Christians, uh, they're going to be like him. Then Sophia will send forth groans and cries to unlock her long shut-up womb." Why? "...so that the elite are empowered to go forth to do greater works than the day of a Pentecost." Okay, she says, "...that at the Feast of Tabernacles, just and perfect spirits will rise to deify it." She's talking about the Body of Christ. Then she says, again, look for these uh, loaded language terms, she says, what is the man-child? It is Christ in us, which will be the consummation of the divine mystery. Who would not be willing to wait until this resurrection marriage may be consummated? So, John, yeah, you're hearing those terms like overcomer, Melchizedek. The groans and cries, if somebody knows their Bible a little bit, that's, that's coming from um, the manifestation of the sons of God, which is, in Scripture, sounds like... Uh, uh, almost a deification, or really, when Christian terms, uh, regular Christian terms would be the glorification, the resurrection of the body, which is mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. So, lead says, though, that this is before Christ returns. So she says, the groans and cries uh, in Scripture. I think it says uh, uh, all, all of creation uh, uh, groans and cries, something to that effect. Uh, Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, and then of course this idea of uh, doing greater works. Her mention of the Feast of Tabernacles. Did George Warner and Bill Britton dream this up? Don't think so. I think they got it from her, because her interpretation of it is the Feast of Tab- Tabernacles being the moment of uh, divinity at the consummation of the divine mystery. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of overlapping. Uh, metaphors, uh, a lot of collapsing contexts where one idea merges with another. But it's it's there in Jane Leade. Yeah, I'm sure our
0: listeners will see so many similarities between the NAR, whatever is the aspect that they're researching and, and what we're talking about with Jane lead, because it, it's like a virus that spread around the globe. It's like a, it's an infection that carried from century to century through various different forms. That's why in my opinion, whenever somebody they'll ask me was William Branham or the Lateran movement affiliated with Freemasonry? Well, it's because you see, Jane Leeds' influence into what you know what developed into the later versions of Freemasonry and what developed into the Lateran movement. She's this common thread that makes them all look very so very similar. And you mentioned it goes all the way up to you can even find trace elements of what happened at January 6th in this thing. You find these people that really are. They see themselves as doing a religious war against the government, to in to put a person into power. Politics aside, what the, what that framework that existed to create that scenario was wrong. All politics aside, I began to notice that as I was writing weaponized religion from uh, Rain to Colonia Dignidad, there there was a strong element of politics mixed with religion. And I never really understood it until I went back and revisited Jane Leed's writings because hers, hers as well had a very strong political message behind it. And as that developed into British Israelism and into Christian identity, all of this turned into this very militant form of – you, you can't even really call it Christianity. It is it is the esoteric world. And when you read Jane Leed's writings and you're thinking, I've watched horror movies where this group of people <clears throat> called down Sophia and, and and this demon came down and gave them divine knowledge and they created this mystery cult and they committed suicide or whatever is the bad thing that happened in the movie. That's really what was going on with her, but it's weird because it developed into a form of quote unquote Christianity. And the spirit guides you mentioned earlier in the show. I have to pause because we believed in the Lateran version of the message that this was a this was a thing. You can go back and you can read any of these Lateran literature. There's hundreds of ministers that were in this thing, right? You have the mystery religion And they're being taught loaded language, which is common among all cults, isolating themselves from the other Christians, using the loaded language to contain the mystery, and then setting up the scenario where the whole rest of the Christian world is apostate. It's being consumed by Satan, and therefore we must come with force and we must take it back over. It's all leading up to this This very militant very very wrong thing that doesn't even match christianity whatsoever all of these different movements that claimed this they're using jane lee's framework without even knowing who she is because as this spread around the globe her influence influenced in a very very bad way
1: what's really a little bit tricky with jane lee depending on who you uh you talk to and who you, who you uh, ask advice about. What did she say? She actually comes across as uh, as uh, totally embracing everything. She has this uh, this doctrine of universal salvation. Everyone will make it, but it's it's sort of like she says that out of one side of her mouth, and the other side you get these precedents for uh, for perfectibility, taking dominion, and even what I call a sacred purge. So let's, let's see, like, what did some of her, uh, the people that were influenced by her, what did they say about this idea that they would have the responsibility uh, to actually take dominion politically and carry out a sacred perch by removing folks? And I can tell, folks, this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. If you get the book, you get tons of this stuff, and it would be absolutely impossible to ignore that it's there and and all i could say on that is that just like uh nazi germany uh, pre Mussolini italy uh, all of the dictators you can think of all the dictatorships that you can think of had ideas present either religiously or religious politically mixed that made it possible under the right circumstances or the wrong circumstances to actually implement some of these ideas about uh, removing people, dis- dissidents. So here's here's what the, the lead inspired William Brannan had to say. Just like the NAR prophet Bill Hammond, uh, William Brannan said that we will have an Ananias and Sapphira, meaning we'll have the ability to determine who can die uh, at our will the lead inspired Franklin Hall said that when the elite take up their authority and rulership of this planet they will be able to choose whom they will to occupy it then righteous will have to be exterminated those taken away will be killed the Jane Lee inspired J Preston Eby said isn't that strange that God who has given us the command thou shalt not kill can actually kill whom he will, but we are forbidden to kill. Why is this? Then he poses this this thought for us. When Hitler came to power in Germany, he instituted a purging of the government. They were not just relieved of their responsibilities, they were executed. That's pretty vivid. Then E.B. says elsewhere, The judgments of God shall be executed by the glorious, he puts this in all caps, corporate Christ, and the land shall be soaked with blood. These judgments will be, be done in and through the sons of God. In and through is a big important set of little words that uh, you'll find happens again and again with these folks. Now catch this, but you will do it in humility and with a broken heart full of compassion and love. Sounds like uh, George Orwell a little bit. Well, let's see if that idea comes across again. The Jane lead inspired Bill Brin says, The wrath of God is the love of God. And in Bill Brin's writings, you find very explicitly that the wrath of God comes through the sons of God to eliminate those who are not with it. Kelly Varner was an associate of the Jane lead inspired Bill Brin and the Narr prophet Bill Hammond. He told me personally in an interview on the phone, that before we talk judgment, we have to come into what? Into perfect love. The NAR prophet Bill Hammond told me, and I mentioned this earlier, but I added something to it. <clears throat> Hammond says, I say death is death, any way you look at it, however you wipe them out, it's wipe out any way you look at it, but the only ones that can be in the judgment ministry." are those who come to perfect love. It's strictly you're executing God's love, God's word, God's mercy, and God's grace. And the Jane Lead inspired Royal Chronicles says, The elite will establish the three theocratic order and government of the kingdom. Then God's vengeful ones will remove the disobedient and the ungodly from the face of the earth they will be physically killed. Interestingly, Cronquist promotes the Nar profit Bohemond's books. Wonder if they have any connection? I don't know. But they have similar ideas. That's, that's a certainty.
0: Yeah, I think that phrase is the key. Theocratic order. It's all about creating a theocracy. And if you If you studied my research, or, you know, many of the other people who have looked into the dark underbelly of the Pentecostal movement, the Lateran movement, I mean, look at John Alexander Dowie, who created the Theocratic Party to try to take over the United States government way back in the early 1900s. This thing has gone on and on and on. And these movements. It's so opposite from Christianity that whenever a person who has left one of these movements and they enter into a Christian church, they suddenly realize that – while we were taught this is love, like you said, there's there's the dark side of love in these things. While we're taught this yep. is love, when they experience genuine love one for another, where they actually love the people who aren't a member of their church, they love the sinner who they want to help become a saint. They want to help these people, versus the Annias and Sapphira logic, like you said. I was I was given the same proclamation of curse from my own grandfather from behind a pulpit. I, I've listened to there there are ministers in in the movement that we escaped that they would have entire sermons that the theme one quote was God just sometimes likes a good killing. And, oh <laughs> you know, to somebody who's never been in it, they say, oh, my gosh, what is that? But when you're in this mindset where you're being taught that you are the elite, you hold the secret, you're the mystery cult, you're loaded language, nobody else understands because they're not of us. They don't understand it because they're not of us. You have created... A means to create destruction and it's unfortunately like a train that's off the tracks you don't know where it's headed it might be benign it might just stay as it is forever but it also might go completely disastrous and your book calls this out I uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed the podcast and get Steve's book if you haven't already it's the converging apostasy a collection of thematic critiques If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org. For more information about the dark side of Latter Rain, read Weaponized Religion from Latter Rain to Colonia Dignidad. Available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible.